0: First Corinthians 15 verse 3 says, I passed on to you what was most important, what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This is what we believe as Christians. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. We have faith, In him, and we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Now, I wanted to preach a message tonight to encourage you in your faith. Because right, we have faith that Jesus rose again, but, but maybe some of you came to church on Easter Sunday and you sang about the resurrected Jesus and you heard preaching about it, but maybe there was some kind of doubt in your mind and maybe at some point you've asked yourself like, yeah, but, but is it really true? Did Jesus really rise again? Uh, can I really trust what I'm being told? And I want to encourage you tonight, we have to have faith that Jesus rose again, but it doesn't take a lot of faith. It doesn't take a big leap of faith. Once you actually examine the facts, it only takes a little itty bitty step of faith. Little baby step of faith. You don't even need a lot of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. Once you study the evidence, I think all human beings have faith. Some people have faith in themselves. Some people have faith in false gods or religions. Some people have faith in nothing. Atheists have faith in nothing. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. It takes a lot of faith to, to believe in nothing, that everything came from nothing. Like, how, how do you get there? To be a Christian, it takes faith, but the evidence is in your favor. The facts are in your favor. And so I want to talk to you tonight about the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The historical evidence for the resurrection. And this is material that I've, I've synthesized from other historians and theologians and scholars, Gary Habermas, William Lane Craig, Matt Perman. You can study uh, this in more depth on your own. And I hope that this talk will just be the appetizer that gets you excited to study the reasons that you believe what you do. And the thing I love about being a Christian is that the more research you do and the further you dig into Christianity and the historical and archeological evidence, the stronger your faith gets. Right? Other false religions, they don't want you poking around and asking a lot of questions. Right? Like, just, 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 just trust us, just take our word for it. And Christianity, is like, no, please do the research, study, go out there and dig and your faith will increase. Because the facts are in your favor. So we use a, a process called inference to the best explanation that historians use. And it's described as this. We begin with the evidence available to us and then infer what would, if true, provide the best explanation of that evidence. What's the evidence? What's the best explanation for the evidence? When you look at all the evidence surrounding the life of Jesus, the truth of the resurrection emerges as the best explanation. There's not even a second place, close alternative theory. You don't have to like it. It's just the best evidence. And you don't even have to believe that the New Testament was inspired by God. I mean, you can look at secular historians, Uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian with the Roman government wrote about Jesus, and you can still piece together enough evidence to believe. So I'm going to talk about three truths that are accepted by all serious historians. Okay, all honest and serious historians accept these three facts. Even if they're not Christians, they admit, yeah, this is true. Okay, so here are the three truths. The tomb in which Jesus was buried was discovered empty by a group of women on Sunday following the crucifixion. It's just a fact. All historians believe this. Anybody who denies that this is true is cuckoo. Okay, <laughs> number two. Jesus' disciples had real experiences with one whom they believed was the risen Christ. Okay, we're going to talk about that more, but they believed it was Christ. All historians acknowledge that that's got to be true. And Three. As a result of the disciples preaching the resurrection of Christ, the Christian church was established and grew. The Christian church grew because they were preaching Christ. Okay, so you're going to see that the best explanation for each of these facts is that the resurrection actually happens. Okay? Yeah, yeah. but Pastor Ryan, how can, we, how can we really believe any of this? Because it happened so long ago. It was a couple thousand years ago. Well, I like this quote by William Lane Craig Good evidence does not become bad evidence just because of the passage of time. If it's good evidence, if it was collected in an appropriately short amount of time, if the chain of custody is valid, then it's good evidence regardless of how long it's been since these things happened. And it might help you to to go to something a little bit more recent, but still a while ago. If you go back 243 years from today, the, uh, the Declaration approximately was signed. The Declaration of Independence was signed 243 years ago. So let me ask you this. How many of you believe that the Declaration of Independence is a real document? Anybody? Okay. How many of you were there when it happened? Nobody's that old? Nobody? Some of you? No? Nobody's that old? How many of you have held it in your hands and seen it with your own eyes? Maybe you haven't held it, but maybe you've seen it. Some of you went to a museum, you saw it in a museum. Okay. Only a few of you. How do the rest of you know that they're not lying, that it's not made? But you may, maybe you saw copies of it. Maybe you saw a picture of the document. And maybe because you're actually an American today... You believe that something happened. Like maybe, so maybe you accept that there is a Declaration of Independence, even though you weren't there when it was signed. There's no video evidence, but enough evidence exists. Historical documents, writings, letters, news articles, and an actual country that leads you to believe, yeah, I think there was an American Revolution. I believe in my heart that it really happened. Okay, so we're going to talk about the evidence surrounding the resurrection of Jesus, and I want your faith to be encouraged, I want you to grow in confidence that you believe that Jesus rose again, but I want you to be confident in that belief, like just more confident than you came in. Okay, here's the first piece of evidence. Exhibit A, the empty tomb. The empty tomb is an important piece of evidence that Jesus rose again, because if his body was still in the tomb, that would have ended the conversation abruptly. It's important to note that the resurrection was preached in the same city where Jesus died and was buried. So it would have been very easy for all these locals to go to the grave and check for themselves. You know, it'd be hard for some of you to travel to Jerusalem and check the tomb. But if you were there in the city, like if I was talking about Gilbert, you could get in your car and drive there. Like, it's not even that far away. Um, So that made it Uh, really strong evidence, because the Jewish leaders, they did not want the Christian movement to swell and to grow. And they would have loved to be able to go to the tomb and just show people the body of Christ. They would have just produced the body. No, he's still in there. Here's his body. He's not really alive. He's dead. Like Jerry Maguire said, show me the body. That's what they would have done. They would have just produced it. But the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. Second, the earliest Jewish arguments against Christianity admit that the tomb was empty. Okay, this goes back to what we first learn about in Scripture. Matthew 28, 11, says, Some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. These were the guards who were guarding the tomb of Jesus. A meeting with the elders was called, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers... You must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole his body. Now, I know some of you are heavy sleepers, but how heavy of a sleeper do you have to be to sleep through that, right? Like, imagine the guards were just, just sleeping away at night, and these disciples, they crept in like the pink panther, and they rolled away this multi-hundred-pound stone, and they, they stole the body, while and they just slept through it sweetly and peacefully. Like, how much did they drink to sleep through that? I don't know. It's a crazy story. And this, this is what we read in verse 14. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. What are they talking about? Because for Roman soldiers who were guarding the tomb, if you fell asleep on watch, you would have been executed. So they told these guys, we'll have your back so you don't get in trouble. So the guards accepted the bribe, and they said what they were told to say. And their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. And we know that's true because other historical documents continue on this false rumor. The Toledoth Yeshu is early Jewish writing, the Chronicles of Jesus. And it acknowledges that the tomb was empty. It just tries to explain it away. It says, well, the tomb was empty, but the disciples stole his body. There's a record of a second-century debate between a Christian named Justin Martyr and a Jew named Trypho, who accuses the Christians of stealing the body. They admit the tomb was empty. They just say that the body was stolen. And historians, even secular historians, admit that that fact is very strong evidence that the tomb really was empty. Third, the burial account about Jesus's. Burial in the tomb, that that part of this story is one of the most reliable facts that we have about the history of Jesus. Because he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, a very well-known governing official of the Sanhedrin Jewish ruling council. So he was too well-known in the community for people to make up stories about him. They couldn't just say they buried Jesus in his tomb, and if they were lying, they would have been exposed as frauds, or you would hear conflicting stories, like somebody would have said, no, you didn't. We know where his tomb is. But there are no conflicting stories. He was actually buried in the tomb of this well-known governing official, and that's important. That makes it more trustworthy. Fourth, the tomb of Jesus was never venerated as a shrine. In the first century, it was common to go to the tomb of a holy man where his bones were and to set up a shrine. And the Jews would come, and they would pray there, and they would sit in this holy place. And there were 50 known sites like this in Jesus' day. 50 of these types of shrines existed just in Jesus' day. But Jesus' tomb was never venerated as a shrine. Why? Because his bones were not there. Fifth, Mark's gospel so, shows no sign of legendary language. okay. Legendary language. We can read what that looks like. There's a book, it's a forgery, it's not a real piece of scripture, called the Gospel of Peter. It was written about A.D. 125, not actually written by Peter. There are other writings that are forgeries They came much, much later, and they're not actual scripture. There's one that floats around called the Gospel of Thomas. Are they real pieces of scripture? No. Is the gospel of Peter written by Peter? No. Is it trustworthy? No. Okay, but I want to give you an example of what legend sounds like. Legend in the gospel of Peter. It says that the day Jesus resurrected from the grave, that all of the Jews and the Romans, his enemies, and all of his disciples, they gathered around the tomb. And G- uh, at first it says that three guys came out of the tomb, and they had huge heads, and their heads stretched up to the clouds. Right? And then it says that a cross flew out of the tomb and it was a talking cross. Okay, like that's kind of weird, right? Like that's what a legend sounds like. But if you actually read the Gospels, they're very matter of fact. They read like newspaper articles. It's like who, what, when, where, why, just the facts. Six, the empty tomb. It's a reliable piece of evidence because in the Bible, it talks about how it was discovered by women. And history records that, that it was discovered by women And in this day, in this age, in this culture, the testimony of women was considered worthless. Okay, I know there's some ladies who are here today who are like, what? It's like, okay, but that's, that's just the culture. Like, we're not saying it's good. The fact that Jesus let his tomb be discovered by women, it shows you that Jesus was the original women's right activist. Like, he was. okay. So even the Jewish Talmud, uh, one of their holy writings, it says, any evidence a woman gives is not valid to offer. And there's other examples I could give you like that. Luke 24, verse 11, it records that the disciples of Jesus, it says, they did not believe the women because their words to them seemed like nonsense. The disciples of Jesus, they didn't even believe the women right away. They thought they were just yapping. they like, I don't, even, I don't even know what to think about. They're just being, they're just being crazy, Okay, That's just the way it was. It's embarrassing. It's kind of awkward. So why is it in all four Gospels it says the empty tomb was first discovered by women? Well, that's because it actually happened that way. And the writers were committed to recording the truth with honesty and integrity, even though it was a blow to their own credibility. Because if they were going to say the tomb was empty and if they were making this up, they wouldn't have made women the first witnesses. Not in this culture. So it looks like the tomb really was empty. A question people ask was, was the body stolen? Maybe the body was stolen. Well, then the question is, who stole it? Maybe the Jews or the Romans stole it because they were in power. But the thing is, all of history, everything points to the fact that the Jews and the Romans, the last thing they wanted was for that body to be removed out of that tomb. Jesus had been going around saying, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. And the Jews, they wanted to squash this Christian movement. They did not want the disciples to come and steal the body and start this new movement. And so that's why they put guards on the tomb. Don't let anybody mess with the body. We need that tomb entrance to say, uh, uh, sealed. We don't want disciples stealing the body and saying that he rose again. We need you to lock this thing down. The last thing they wanted was for that body to go anywhere. And then are we supposed to believe that the disciples stole the body? Like, think about how after Jesus was killed on the cross, what what did the disciples do? They, They ran, they hid, they were disheartened. Peter was so disheartened, he denied even knowing Jesus to a little girl. That's how brave he was feeling. So we're supposed to think that the same guys, they decided to turn around, go back to the tomb to fight against a company of armed Roman soldiers. These fishermen were going to take on these Roman soldiers um, to steal a dead body. Like, Like, where do they get the bravery from, you know? And then you have to think about, like, what would they have? Like, what would their motivation be for stealing the body? They were all tortured and beaten, killed. They were persecuted for following Christ. Why would they go through all that for a deliberate lie? Like, why would you do that? Okay, so I don't think that we have any other explanation for the empty tomb than the fact that Jesus actually rose from the grave. Here's exhibit B. This is the next thing. This is the thing that's true, all historians agree about about this the resurrection appearances i want to talk about exhibit b the resurrection appearances the disciples saw someone that they at least believed to be the resurrected jesus so i'm going to go back to this passage 1 corinthians 15 it says i passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, written by Paul, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him, for I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. Okay, So scholars agree that Paul received this creed from Peter and James about three years after the crucifixion. The Jewish scholar Pincus Lapid Says that this creed may be considered the testimony of an eyewitness. And we know that because the actual eyewitnesses are named in this creed. Now you got to realize this section of scripture right here originated as a verbal creed, a statement that was passed on before the books of the Bible were gathered together and canonized and published in a nice, neat, tidy package, right, before this was even written down, the early Christians were passing this teaching on to one another, like, oh, you haven't heard about Jesus? Let me tell you about him. Um, Well, he rose from the grave on the third day, just as the scriptures say. They memorized it as a way of explaining this fundamental truth to other new believers, Paul was taught this by Peter and James and this creed historians believe developed within just a year two years after the resurrection of Jesus. Now a, a skeptic would say, but you can't trust those guys. They're Christians. That's the thing. They weren't and then they were. Right? Like they weren't they were devout Jews who came from a long lineage of Jews. And remember, Judaism says that to to believe in any other God, to, to practice any other religious system would be blasphemy and cause you to be cursed by God. But something happened that was so convincing that they went from devout Judaism to passionately following Jesus Christ. What could have happened? I think they saw the resurrected Jesus. All right. But just because the disciples think they saw Jesus doesn't automatically mean that they really did. There are three possible explanations. You ready? First possible explanation that they were lying. Maybe they just made it all up. Like, you know, maybe they didn't actually see the resurrected Jesus. They just say they did. Maybe they just had a real hankering to be beat and tortured and executed, you know? Like, maybe that was what they were really hoping for. They just made it up. Like, let's just say we saw him. You know, I'm disappointed. Let's just say we saw him. Like, why would they lie? Why would they lie? Well, I read some articles written by an apologist who is also a detective. And he's, he made this point that there are three motivations for every crime that's committed. Lust, power, and greed. So sex, power, or money. That's what motivates every crime committed by a sane person, okay? So, so think about some of the other false religions in the world. Like, uh, let's see, Joseph Smith, okay? So Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, could he have been motivated by lust? I don't know. Ask one of his 40 wives. Yeah. Uh, could he have been motivated by money? You know, well, he was accused of forgery and fraud and taken to court multiple times. One guy took him to court for fraud because Joseph Smith was practicing uh, seeing through a stone. It was, was his practice where he had a magical, spiritual stone that he could look through and find treasure buried 50 feet underground. And after he scammed a few people, they accused him of fraud. Like, Was he potentially motivated by power? At one point, he had the second largest standing army on the continent of the United States, besides the U.S. government. So power was a thing. But like, what about the early Christians? Would they have been motivated by any of those things? Would that have caused them to lie about seeing Jesus? Well, they died penniless. Many of them didn't even get married because they thought it was more important to just preach the gospel. And the ones that did get married, they only had one wife. Can you believe it? They were tortured. They were killed. They were persecuted by all of the powerful entities in their community. There was no motivation to lie. People lie to get themselves out of trouble, not get themselves into trouble. You think if they lied about seeing Jesus and they were being tortured and executed one by one, like one of them would have said like, yo, wait a second, um, hold up, okay. This has gone too far. They all died preaching that Jesus Christ had resurrected. Okay, so here's another possible explanation. They say they saw Jesus. Maybe they hallucinated. Maybe they were just really bummed out and they were so overcome by grief that they had a hallucination that they saw Jesus. Maybe they they had like a gas leak where they were living and they all started tripping out. Maybe they were smoking something. I don't know. Does that make sense? Could they have hallucinated? Well, it doesn't make a lot of sense in scholars and historians pretty much universally reject that concept because what they claim to have experienced doesn't really line up with what a hallucination would look like. First, they say that they actually touched Jesus. They actually put their hands, their, 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 their fingers, in the, the nail wounds in his hand and in his side. It, also, it's interesting that when they saw him, the Bible says several of the people that first saw him didn't even recognize him. Now, if you were having a vision or a hallucination or a dream about someone you knew who died, in the dream they would probably look the way that you remember them. You wouldn't hallucinate them with wounds in their hands or looking sort of unfamiliar to you. Here's here's an even bigger, bigger argument, right? Like, were they hallucinating? The problem is hallucinations are individual experiences. They're not shared group experiences. like I don't come in here like, you guys, wasn't that a crazy dream we had last night? Yeah, that dream was crazy, right? Like, I don't know what you're talking about, because dreams are individual experiences. Hallucination. If they were hallucinating, they would have all seen different things. One guy might have seen Jesus. Another guy might have seen the talking cactus. Like, you don't know, because you wouldn't hallucinate the same thing. Twelve people wouldn't hallucinate the same thing. Five hundred people definitely wouldn't hallucinate the same thing. The other possible explanation is that they actually saw the risen Jesus Christ. So they either lied, they hallucinated, or they really saw him. But the resurrection appearances changed everything. Here's the the third piece of of solid, factual evidence. The Christian church began and grew. Exhibit C. The Christian church began and grew. There actually is a Christian church. You know because you're a part of it. Um, It began... And it grew. The fact that it exists is evidence that something happened. Like you don't have to necessarily believe that, uh, you know, everything that took place in history happened. But like, think about this, right? Um, We talked about the Declaration of Independence. Do you believe that it's a real document? Well, I don't know. The fact that you're actually an American is evidence that something happened. The fact that you're actually here, that you actually exist as a human being is evidence that at some point your biological parents, they got together and something happens, right? Like, like bouncing around, well, something happened. And I don't know if they liked each other or not, but you're here, so it's proof that something happens. And the fact that the Christian church exists, that it's here, is, uh, is evidence. Okay, so... The existence of the Christian church is strong proof for the resurrection. Why? Because even skeptics, even New Testament scholars or historians that aren't Christians admit that the disciples, they at least believed that Jesus was raised from the grave. Okay, but how can we explain the origin of that belief? That's a good question. Where did this idea come from that he rose from the grave? Okay, so there are three possible. Explanations, three possible causes that some people will claim might have encouraged that belief or inspired it. Maybe they stole that idea from somewhere else. So some people will hypothesize that it was influenced by Christianity, that later on the Christian church said, you know what would be a better story? Let's say that Jesus rose from the dead. That would be a much happier ending. But that's not possible because historians point out, William Lane Craig says, since the belief in the resurrection was itself the foundation of Christianity, it cannot be explained as the later product of Christianity. So the very beginning, Easter morning, day one, the disciples were saying Jesus rose from the grave. That's the reason they all changed their position. They went from being scared and hiding to boldly preaching and being willing to die. Because they knew that Jesus had risen from the grave. That was the teaching from the very beginning. So maybe this idea of a resurrected Savior came from pagan influences. That's another theory. Skeptics will often point um, that there are other myths about a Savior dying and rising again. Uh, And maybe the disciples were influenced by one of those myths, and they copied them into their own teachings about the resurrection of Christ. And in reality, all serious scholars universally reject this theory. First, it's been shown that these mystery religions had no major influence on Palestine at this time in the first century. Second, most of the sources which contain parallel stories originated after Christianity was established. Third, most of the similarities that are claimed to be similarities are very sloppy and they're not real. Okay, I'm going to try to explain this. You can find stories or articles on the internet about parallel st- messiahs, right? Like like the god Horus or the Hindu god Krishna, and people will claim like, "Oh, it's just like Jesus," and they'll try to make all these comparisons. And if you actually study the history, the comparisons are not real. Yes. The things that they claim are not actually what was reality, okay? So you can't just believe what you read, you can't just believe what some hot garbage documentary on Netflix claims. You've gotta study the actual history. So like the Egyptian god Horus, people will claim that there are a lot of parallels to Jesus. They'll say he was born of a virgin, it's not true. Okay, I could tell you the whole story but it's like graphic and really creepy and I don't feel like talking about it. But <laughs> The point is, it's not even close. People will say there are these similarities. There aren't. They're not there. What's happened is that skeptics and atheists have tried to make them sound similar, to make you doubt your faith. But then I want to point this out. I want to point this out because this is just logical thinking here. Even if there were stories with similarities, there's a couple of things to think about. If before Jesus even came, maybe people were, they were searching for answers or there were people who were looking for God, doesn't that make sense that if they were thinking about God and imagining what God might be like, that people might imagine things about God that could be close to what God is actually like? Yeah. Like if you stood on the shores of the ocean and you didn't know anything about the Bible, you might imagine, like, could there be a God who created all of this, who put the stars in the sky and the fish in the sea and the birds in the air. Like, am I here by accident or, or could there be a God who made this happen? Like, you might just imagine that. Guess what? That's what actually happened. Right? Like, you might say, like, man, I don't really know what God's like. I can't imagine. It. I can't wrap my mind around it. I haven't seen it. It'd be really nice if God would come to earth and, and take on human form so I could have a conversation with him guess what? That's actually what happened. That's what Jesus did, right? Like Just because you imagine it doesn't mean that it can't actually happen. Like, here's another example, okay? So uh, there's this comic book character called Dick Tracy. You guys remember Dick Tracy, anybody? Um, Everyone who's under 30 has no idea who I'm talking about. Okay, comic book character Dick Tracy. In 1946, the comic book hero Dick Tracy uh, he, it, you first saw the appearance of this really cool item, the wristwatch walkie-talkie. You guys remember that? Dick Tracy had a wristwatch walkie-talkie. He could talk to people through his wristwatch. Like, I grew up seeing that, and like, I was watching a cartoon or a TV show at the time, and I was like, what? That would be so cool. Um, but in 1946, we know that that technology didn't exist. It was just a figment of somebody's imagination. Okay? Like, you couldn't just talk through a wristwatch walkie-talkie. But guess what? 2018, the Apple Watch 4 came out. You don't even need a phone, and you can talk to people through your wristwatch. So just because the comic book character Dick Tracy had an imaginary wristwatch walkie-talkie doesn't mean that the Apple Watch isn't actually a real thing in 2018. You know, just because someone imagined a story about a God or a Savior who died and rose again doesn't mean that Jesus Christ wasn't the actual real Savior of the world who actually really died and rose again. This is just logical thinking here. Okay, Fifth, fifth early disciples, they were Jews. And it would have been unthinkable for a Jew to borrow from a pagan religion. Most of these disciples, they were devout Jews. And they knew that any other pagan religion, it would cause you, if you practice it, it would cause you to be cursed by God. And the the chances of them pulling ideas from other religions is very unlikely. Um, So was the idea of the resurrection influenced by paganism? Probably not. What about Jewish influences? First century Judaism had no concept of a single individual rising from the grave in the middle of history. Their concept was always this, that at the end of time, all Jewish people would rise from the grave together. All of God's people would rise from the the grave at one time. Um, So they didn't even have this idea that someone would be resurrected in the middle of history. Certainly not the Messiah. They didn't see this one coming at all. That's why in John 20, verse 9, even when Peter and John found the empty tomb, it said they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to die and rise from the dead okay they didn't understand because there was nothing like that clearly in their old testament teaching their torah their idea. it wasn't even there that's also good evidence against the idea that they hallucinated because psychologists will tell you that hallucinations can't contain any new ideas hallucinations come from ideas that are already somehow in your mind so they wouldn't have hallucinated the messiah rising again They would have maybe hallucinated him ascending into heaven on a chariot of fire like Elijah because that's in the Old Testament. But the concept of a Messiah dying and rising again was not in the Old Testament. It was not a part of Judaism. They thought the Messiah was going to come in and establish his kingdom. That's why they were all so surprised when he died at all. The best explanation is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. Come on. You're pretty smart. That's the best explanation. It takes faith, but just a little bit of faith. It takes more faith not to believe he rose from the dead. Jesus actually died and rose again. And there's evidence, there's facts that support this. It's not blind faith. It's factual based faith. It's, It's just easier to believe this than the alternate theories. Okay, so here are some common objections. Could it be a legend? That's one of the most common objections that skeptics will throw out there. Like, that's just a myth. That's just a legend. Maybe Jesus was a real person who lived and was good, but I don't believe he was God. I don't believe he actually died and rose again. That's a legend that develops later over long periods of time. That's not possible. Okay. First, the testimony of the resurrection goes back to the original eyewitnesses. So you remember the creed of 1 Corinthians 15 that we read? That was the first-hand testimony of Peter and James. And so that resurrection belief did not evolve over time. We hear from the people who saw it, and they claim that he rose again. And that happened from the very beginning. Then if you go to their student, go to the disciple John. You remember, guys, remember John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loves? He's one of the guys who found the empty tomb. Well, we know that as he grew, um, he had two guys we know from history that he taught for sure. One was named Polycarp, and one was named Ignatius. They were John's students, and Ignatius wrote a lot of letters about what he had been taught by John, and those letters circulated amongst the church, and they're not in your Bible, but they're historical documents that you can read today, and in just Ignatius's letters, if you threw out scripture, you will learn everything you need to know to be saved. And to have a proper understanding of God. Just in his early letters. And this was being written just a few years after Jesus rose and ascended into heaven. Just from the letters of Ignatius. You would learn the following. That Jesus was born of the line of David. That he was his the only begotten son of God. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, that a star announced his birth, that he came from God the Father, born of the Virgin Mary, that he was the perfect man, the manifest will of God, that he had a ministry on earth, that he's the source of wisdom, that he spoke the word of God, that he was anointed to preach the good news, that he was unjustly treated and crucified, that he died on a cross, that his death was an offering to God, that this took place during Pontius Pilate's reign when Herod was the king, that he had a physical resurrection body. He told his disciples to touch him. He ate with his disciples. His disciples were convinced. His disciples were fearless after seeing Jesus, that Jesus returned to God, that he now lives in us, that he was the manifestation of God. He's united with God. He has the power to transform us. He's Lord God, Savior, the way to true life. His sacrifice glorifies us. Faith in him saves us communion honors Jesus that salvation is a gift of God all of that's just in the letters of Ignatius in the first century before the New Testament was even put together and canonized by the early church fathers this was being taught amongst Christians these weren't ideas that developed later it's exactly what we're talking about today right from the beginning wasn't a legend if it was a legend how would you explain the evidence for the empty tomb if it was a legend how would we explain the origin of the Christian faith? These guys didn't all leave Judaism for no reason, for a legend that would develop later. The myth theory that it's a legend, that it's a myth, it can't explain the conversion of Saul into Paul. Saul was a Jew who was devoted to killing Christians. He was the Christian bounty hunter. He was traveling around looking for Christians to arrest, to kill. He's going to Damascus as the Christian bounty hunter. Are we supposed to believe that he heard a myth that Jesus was alive and he was like, you know what? Never mind. I'm not going to persecute the Christians anymore. I'm going to start preaching that Jesus is alive. Couldn't have been a legend. Something convinced him. Well, he tells us what that is, that he saw the resurrected Jesus, who was like, why are you persecuting me, right? Like something, he saw something. And this happened just three years after Jesus rose. We see that the empty tomb narrative and the gospels, it lacks the classical traits of legend. And I think this is really important, that all of the recording of events, they took place so soon after the actual resurrection, that there wasn't enough time historically for legend to develop, okay? So I want to give you some examples, some comparisons from from history and legends that you might have heard of today. The, uh, The first comparison is Achilles and the Trojan War. Maybe you saw the movie Troy. Most historians believe that there was a real city called Troy and that there was a battle that took place there on the western shores of Turkey, maybe about 1200 B.C., Okay, so they think that then for 400-ish years or so, the story of that war was passed on orally, just verbally from person to person. Hey, did you hear about this? Hey, did you hear about this? And then supposedly this guy Homer came along and he turned it into poetic form. And maybe you've heard of Homer's Odyssey or the Iliad, but it was like 400, 500 more years till that was actually written down. So historians think it's probably nothing like what actually happened, and it took seven, eight 800, 900 years for that legend to develop. That's how long it takes for a legend to develop. Here's another example. The legend of King Arthur. Maybe you've heard of him. Maybe you saw that movie. Okay. Historians think that that character is maybe based on a real historical figure named General Arturus. He was a real general who won a bunch of battles against the Saxons. And they think that maybe that inspired the legend of King Arthur. The story of this general was passed on for 500 to 600 years before it was written down as the legend of King Arthur, a guy who hung out with sorcerers and had a magical sword called Excalibur. It took 600 years of this story being passed on from person to person like a game of telephone. But the story about Jesus and his resurrection, it was being passed on verbally for just a few years before it was written down and then painstakingly transcribed by people who were professional scribes. Their job was to copy manuscripts exactly detail by detail. And we have more historical documents about the life of Jesus than any other figure from ancient history. In fact, I would say probably all the rest of them combined. So, if you don't believe that Jesus is a real historical figure, you can't believe in anything else that took place in history. <laughs> right? So, we know that the Gospel of Mark, the first pieces of Scripture that were written down, probably happened within seven years of the resurrection. Just seven years a- a- a later. Uh, we know this because it doesn't mention the high priest Caiaphas by name. It just says, the high priest. Well, we know Caiaphas was the high priest from AD 18 to AD 37, So they don't mention him by name because he was probably the same guy. And everybody knew who he was. If it was later, they would have had had to distinguish who the high priest was. It was that guy, Caiaphas. Not the guy now, but they didn't mention him by name. Another uh, evidence that these things were written down very early, the book of Acts, the book of Acts, which records Jesus being resurrected, sending his disciples out, the missionary journeys of Paul, it doesn't even record the death of Paul. Okay, so Jesus rose again around A.D. 30, 33, depending on which historian you talk to. Paul died in A.D. 64, just 30 years later. But Acts doesn't mention his death. Paul was a pretty big deal in Acts. If he died, they probably would have said something about it. But it happened, it happened so quickly that these books were, they were written, the scripture was written. It wasn't enough time for legend to develop. You know, Think about what was happening in your life seven years ago. Like, some of the details might be fuzzy, but you're not confusing real life with myth. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't long enough. So, I don't believe that a legend is what converted Paul. I don't believe that a legend caused the early church to exist. I don't believe that a legend caused the disciples to die, right? Why would they give their life for what would be supposedly a legend? The only thing that makes sense is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. So as we close, what does the resurrection mean for us? That's great, Pastor Ryan, but what does this mean for me? First, it means that Jesus really is God. Jesus really is God. He claimed to be God. And even if you took only the pieces of Scripture that the most skeptical historians admit are valid, are authentic, you would still piece together enough to show clearly that Jesus said he's God. And his resurrection proves that he was telling the truth, that he's actually God. If he said he was God, but then he died and he didn't rise from the dead like he predicted, you'd be like, "Uh, guess not. He probably was making the whole thing up, but he actually rose again. So it proves he's God. Second, it proves the Bible is true. If Jesus rose from the dead, then we've seen that this validates his claim to be God. And if he's God, he speaks with all authority And final certainty. Therefore, what Jesus said about the Bible must be true. So we've got to believe what Jesus said about the Bible. What did he say about the Bible? That it was inspired by God and that it cannot err. He said we can trust it. How do we know that we can trust the Old Testament? You know, I'm cool with the New Testament, but I don't know if I believe everything in the Old Testament. Jesus quoted the Old Testament. He quoted the Torah. He quoted Psalms. He quoted multiple places in the Old Testament. That tells you that we can trust the Bible. That it's true. Some, some skeptics will say, you can't trust the Bible. It's been corrupted. It's been twisted, right? Well, who are you going to believe? A skeptic who's going to die and stay dead or Jesus who died and rose again? Yes. I'm going to believe Jesus. Believe Jesus. Third, it proves that Christianity is the only true religion. It's the only true religion. Many people are confused by the different religions in the world. And they ask, you know, are they all from God? Do they all lead back to God? But on closer examination, we see that this cannot be true. They cannot all be from God because they all contradict each other, right? Christianity alone, Jesus said, I'm a man and I'm God. I'm the son of man, I'm the son of God. All other religions deny that Jesus is God. Some of them admit that he's a good man, but they don't admit that he's God. So Jesus says he's God, they say he's not. They can't both be right. So who are we gonna go with? These other religious systems who were founded by people who died and stayed dead or Jesus who died and rose again, right? How do we know which religion is correct? I'm going with Jesus. You look at the evidence and examine the evidence in light of the resurrection, the winner is Christianity, it's Jesus, it's us. And there are some people who are like, Pastor Ryan, you shouldn't talk bad about all those other religions. You should be nicer, it's mean. Now I don't talk mean about other religions, I talk mean about Seahawks fans. When I'm talking about false religions, I'm not talking mean, I'm condemning them as lies from the pit of hell because you see that These other religious systems, we live in a world that says you should be tolerant and just let people do whatever's good for them and be nice and accept everything to each his own. The thing is, like these other false religious systems, they lead people away from the saving grace of Jesus. They lead them to an eternity of separation from God in hell. And so I have to point out that they're false religions that come from Satan who wants to deceive people and see them destroyed. We have a duty to show people that this is. Is truth, and that is false. I'm believing what Jesus said, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Okay, this is important. Fourth, the resurrection proves that we will be judged one day, that one day there will be a judgment. Acts 17 says, but now God commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. There's going to be a judge. Who's he going to be? Jesus, the one who rose from the dead. And we see that this language about the resurrection is united with language about justice and judgment. That means all of humanity who has sinned, everyone besides Jesus, is going to be judged for their sins. So we have to do something about our sins if we don't want to be judged. The only option is to be judged for our sins and pay the price or be forgiven of our sins and avoid judgment by becoming a child of God, forgiven by God through faith in Jesus. It's very serious that we deal with our sins. We need to repent of sin and turn to God and then opt out of judgment. Fifth. The resurrection establishes a pattern of what's to come for you. Isn't it cool that you get to see a preview of what your future looks like? All of us know what's coming for us. Life after death, hope when we die. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6.14. And God will raise us from the dead by his power just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Okay, so here's what happens. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you die, your spirit will immediately go to heaven. Your consciousness, your soul, you'll go to heaven, you'll be with Jesus immediately. Immediately. We know that's true because when Jesus was on the cross, he said to the criminal by his side, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, so you don't go to sleep, your spirit goes to heaven. Your body goes into the grave. Your body goes into the grave, but it's not gonna stay there forever. We've seen the preview through Jesus. Jesus was the prototype. The Bible calls him the first fruits of what's to come, right? Jesus went into a grave, but he came up out of that grave. When Jesus returns the second time, all of us who've died, our bodies will rise again from the grave. You'll have a new body transformed and glorified by God. It'll be like your old body, but way better, right? It won't be corrupted by sin. It won't be decayed. It won't look like the walking dead. You'll have a glorified, beautiful body. It'll never get sick. You'll never have pain again. You won't get old. You can eat whatever you want and not have to worry about your diet. Right? Some of you vegans are going to start eating meat. Some of you gluten-free people are going to be grabbing donuts. Like, I know it. I know it. We see in Jesus the pattern of what's to come. So that's why the Bible says that we don't mourn like those who have no hope when our loved ones die because we'll see each other again and we'll have physical bodies. We can high five each other, give hugs, eat food, rule and reign with Jesus forever. And six, lastly, I wanna point this out. We have the hope of eternal life. Jesus said in John five twenty four, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. We have the hope of eternal life. And maybe you've wondered, how do I know that there's life after death? I'm scared of dying. I'm scared of what might be out there. You don't have to be scared. You have the hope of eternal life. Why? Because there is someone who died but came back from the dead, defeating death. It's Jesus. He said right here that through me, you have eternal life. Should I trust him? Well, I don't know. Did he rise again? Yes. So I should also trust him. We're going to rule and reign with him for eternity. You won't be condemned for your sins. You'll be a child of God. You will experience God's favor. You'll be close to him. You'll be in relationship with him for all eternity. That's for all time. You can't lose that. You have eternal life. That should help you to sleep pretty soundly at night. The hope of eternal life. So this conversation that we're having is meant to encourage you in your faith, boost your faith, strengthen your faith. Maybe some of you have heard these things before, and this just reminds you of what you needed to to know. Maybe some of you are like, I never thought about this. I didn't realize there was so much evidence to believe in Jesus. Like, I thought it was just blind faith. And there's atheists and skeptics out there that that they kind of make the argument that if we're Christians, we're a bunch of ignorant hillbillies who don't know anything. and, And we just believe in a myth. And in reality, all the actual historical and archaeological evidence points to Jesus being a real person who died and rose again. It takes faith, but just a little bit of faith. It takes more faith to not believe in him. All this evidence points to the resurrected Jesus, and I can tell you what, there's more evidence that points to Jesus being alive, they're sitting right next to you. Yes. people whose lives have been changed completely by God. people who were alcoholics and now they're not, people who were terrible husbands, and now they're not. people who were sexually promiscuous and now they're not. People who were depressed, and now they're not. All sitting right beside you. People who've been transformed by the living spirit of God inside of them, right? Doing what only God can do. And and many of you know, like, this, what's happened in my life would not be possible without God. One guy told me today, he said, the odds of my life changing the way it has, the odds would have been greater for me to win the lottery and get struck by lightning in the same day but Jesus changed me, he told me this morning. He said, Jesus changed me. And that is one of the greatest signs of evidence, like I think the people in our lives who've been changed by Jesus, he does what only he could do. I'm so grateful for all the evidence that God has given us. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, and maybe you're here today, and the Lord just wanted to encourage you in your faith, and maybe he wanted you to leave here even more confident that he is who he said he was, that Jesus died, that he rose again, that he is the son of God. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, I don't think I really had real faith before, but now I do. And I want to put my trust in Jesus. I'm ready to follow him. And if you're saying like, I don't even have all the answers, that's okay. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to understand all the Bible. You just have to believe or trust or have faith that Jesus is who he said he was, that he died and that he rose again. And if the Bible says if you believe that, you'll be saved. And then you have plenty of time to figure out the rest of it. So if you're ready to take that step of faith, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. Just pray, God, I need you. I need your forgiveness. I've sinned. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins so that I could be forgiven. And I believe that he rose again on the third day so that I could have victory over death And the hope of eternal life. I want to follow you from this day forward. I don't know it all. I don't have all the answers yet, but I know that you love me, that you died for me, that you saved me, and that your way is the only way. So I'm following you from now on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.